0: We have a king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all things. He's the redeemer of our souls. He shed his blood. He conquered death. And he loves you so much. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. His power has no end. His glory has no end. His love has no end. His grace has no end. In fact, a common denominator about us around here is, is not that it's, it's so important that, that this registers with you a common denominator about all of us around here is not that we've achieved some religious status. No, we've received the love and the grace and the mercy of the God who went to the cross because he didn't want to spend forever without us. That's our God. That's who we are. We've been bought with the price, the blood of Jesus. We've been restored and forgiven and redeemed and made whole. And because of his spirit within us that he gave us as a gift that we didn't deserve, we're heaven bound and we're the family of god you know luke talked about the early days and even earlier days before we started hope works and before we started this church i used to dream of starting a church and when i would and when i would pray and when i would fall asleep praying about this church i, I had an image of in my mind kind of like a mobile hosp, army hospital unit with people on stretchers and medical hospitals flying out and dropping people off and flying back to the war zone to pick more people up and 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 these helicopters flying back. And and as the Lord has landed us here right by JPS and and helicopters from time to time flying overhead, I think it's a, a wonderful metaphor of what this church is. It's a spiritual hospital. And we've been given the healing balm that is the hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's no doctors or nurses, there's only patients who's been touched by this redeeming grace of God and now all we are are fellow patients who are a little further along in sanctification, now ministering to one another. That's what the body of Christ is, and that's who we are. And I, I just want to say I'm so grateful that you're here because I believe that God wants to love on you through his scripture, through the gospel, and touch your heart with a healing bomb that will cause all of your sins to immediately be forgiven and it will cause you to become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's salvation. It will cause you to be heaven bound. And it will cause the Holy Spirit of Christ to enter your heart so that God is with you every step of the way in this life and the life to come. And he's not only with you, but he is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? What an awesome worship set. And Cassidy, thank you guys. Let's, let's give it up for our worship team. And- So if if you have your Bibles, open it to the book of Philippians. Uh, And if you don't have your Bible, then there's one in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Um, Can you say General Electric Power Company? Okay, so G-E-P-C. That's how I've memorized Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians general electric power company and you go through the gospels matthew mark luke john then it's acts it's the inception of the church we've been on a series in acts and now we're starting a series on philippians and after acts is romans that's like the the christian constitution that's our theology that's the gospel in which we stand upon and then after romans we go into first and second second corinthians and then galatians and ephesians and here we are in philippians and this has been called the book of joy interestingly because it was written in a prison cell it was written when circumstantially and humanly speaking the apostle paul was extremely lonely and he had the weight of the world resting upon his shoulders and he worked through prayer and through standing on promises to transfer that weight which is not his responsibility to carry onto the lord jesus christ he had an incredible burden for these churches that he literally loved like children he the holy spirit birthed these churches through him and he loved them like his own kids and on top of that, there were ravenous wolves that were viciously, constantly attacking the church, trying to tear it apart. And so with all these burdens and with all this, uh, this sorrow and with all this, this heaviness and with all this pressure, we have what has been called throughout church history, the book of joy. It's the book of Philippians. And we are starting this series today. And I know that uh, that's going to be a great encouragement to you. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would take your word and by your spirit make it come alive in our heart so that we are forever transformed. So that we are aware of your love for us in a manner that causes joy to explode in our hearts. And we have the strength to love you in return and love everyone everywhere like you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read to you a, a beautiful statement out of a, out of a journal. It's a, it's a prayer out of a journal. And as I read this prayer, I want you to answer, just guess in your mind, where was this prayer written from? Was it written on vacation? Was it written on the beach? Um, where was it written from? You've made me so rich, oh God. Please let me share out of your beauty with open hands. My life has become an uninterrupted dialogue with you, O oh God. One great dialogue. Sometimes, when I stand in the corner of this camp, my feet planted on your earth, my eyes raised toward your heaven, tears sometimes stream down my face, tears of deep emotion and gratitude. At night, too, when I lie in bed and rest in you, O oh God, tears of gratitude run down my face. And that is my prayer. This prayer was written by Eddie Healy Sum, and it was written from an Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. And yet, she had this peace that protected her from everything that she was going through. She had this joy that rose above and ascended her horrific circumstances. I think a bedrock. Not only promise, but a bedrock command in the book of Philippians is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I get rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in worship settings like we've had today. Rejoice when you get together with friends and family, maybe for a Super Bowl party. Um, Rejoice maybe when a a loved one comes to Christ. Rejoice when you get a promotion at work. Rejoice in the Lord. But it's this next word that I think we have trouble with, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And as if if we didn't hear that right, or Paul knew that we were going to have trouble with it, he tagged it by saying once again, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. How can we rejoice in some of the heartache that we've walked through? How can we rejoice in some of the chaos and the disappointments that, that, that have touched our lives? How can she rejoice in this Nazi concentration camp in the midst of all this death and sorrow? I think that as we continue to go through this series on rejoice, it's important for us to, to separate the, and understand the differences between joy and happiness. Happiness is based, uh, Our Eng- that's our English word based from the Latin word hap, which is where we get the word happenstance or chance or circumstances. And this is what our happiness is based on. Happiness is based on chance circumstances that are usually entirely out of control, out, out, out of our control. Sometimes they are in our control, sometimes they are not in our control. Most self-help books function from the premise by the way that everything is within your control but in reality we know most of life is entirely out of our control and even the moments we think we are in control is just an illusion that God's allowing us to have for that season life is out of our control but that's what happenstance is it's chance circumstances that happen to us that are entirely out of our control and that's what our happiness is directly linked to for example if you meet the love of your life you're happy if you get married you're Happy. If you get a promotion at work, you're happy. If you have a baby, you're happy. If you lose your job, there goes the happiness. If the marriage unravels, there goes the happiness. If, the, if your health is struggling, then the happiness goes out the window. You see, happiness is a fair-weather friend. Happiness stands with us on the mountaintop but refuses to, to, to condescend itself into the valley of the shadow of death. Joy, on the other hand is not only with us on the mountaintop, but joy will walk into the valley and there comfort us and there carry us out into the next season of life, which is what we heard from this prayer from the Nazi concentration camp during World War II. And by the way, without joy, something that runs so much deeper than happiness, even the happiness on the mountaintop is hollow and empty, isn't it? And then you walk into the valley and it's absolutely unbearable. There have been time after time, I've talked with followers of Jesus Christ who had his spirit in their heart and who had a close relationship with them. They experienced tragedy, touched their lives, and they had inappropriate joy. And nobody understood how they had joy. It wasn't giddy, it wasn't surface, it wasn't superficial, it wasn't happiness, but there was a depth of joy that comforted them and that carried them. And it's a friend that walked with them every step of the way. You see, because joy is more than simply an emotion, joy is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we have a close relationship with him, he gives us a strength so that we're not floundering in life like a drowning victim in, in water that's too deep, but rather we have momentum and we're driving over the water. We have a depth, we have a strength. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength and we know that his joy is attached to his presence and the presence of the lord the scriptures tell us there is greatness of joy god the father we read in the book of hebrews anointed the son with the oil of joy above all of his companions and that was christ's strength when he walked through this earth the joy of the spirit and when christ is in our heart through his spirit he shares this joy with us and his strength is our joy We read that when Jesus' cousin, who was six months his elder, was still in his mother's womb. Mary, who was uh, to, to, to be with child, and she was impregnated with Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus was in Mary's womb, and and Mary walked to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and when Mary walked into the door, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaped with joy, because the Messiah walked in the door, though, in the womb of Mary. That's the presence of the Lord that gives us joy. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he was a magnet for the lost, hurting, and hopeless, not only because of his power, and even to kids, he was a magnet because of his joy, and his joy was a healing balm. And an emboldening bomb that was strengthening them. And then we read after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and before his ascension, he was walking along the road. It was the road on on, on a path called the road to Emmaus, and he was walking with a couple of his followers, and as he was walking, he was talking to to, to them about Scripture, and then they realized, because of the joy in their heart, how their heart burned within them when he talked to them about Scripture, that they were walking with Christ. Joy is much more than a superficial emotion that's attached to chance, circus, like happiness joy is a person and his name is Jesus and he dwells deep in the heart of the believer through the Holy Spirit and his presence is our strength and his presence when we walk with him gives us joy and shines through our countenances you see happiness is like a thermometer It, it 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 can't change anything it simply reflects its environment 70 degrees 60 degrees 40 degrees 90 degrees Happiness is simply a thermometer that reads and reflects its environment. Joy, on the other hand, is a thermostat. It changes the environment. It's because happiness is based on circumstances flowing from the outside in, but joy is based on the person of Jesus Christ who flows from the inside out. And the book of Philippians is a book about joy. It's about where the believer's joy is found and how to grow in that joy as we grow in Christ. So let's begin in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and Philippians is a beautiful letter, an absolutely beautiful letter. If you've never read the book of Philippians, or even if you've read it again, I encourage you just to go back and read it again, it's only four chapters, read it slowly, reread it, reread it again. As you read something and it kind of resonates with you, then that's your verse to memorize. In fact, through this series together, we're going to memorize A handful of verses because in studying for this I I was I was going through chapter one and I underlined all the key things and then I've underlined most of chapter one and I thought well okay I'll go back and I'll double underline everything that I want to communicate and I double underlined almost everything once again (laughs) and then I said well I'll just go back and circle some key words and I circled more than I can teach and so this This sermon isn't going to allow you to know what you need to know from the book of Philippians. It's simply supplementing um, your time with the Lord as you seek Him throughout the week. Open up the Bible. Read the book of Philippians. Read it and reread it again. And as your heart is encouraged, as the Holy Spirit says, that's for you. That's for you. That's now this junction of your life. That's what I want you to hang on to. That's what I I want you to believe me for. That's what I want you to stand upon. Then pray that back to God. Reread it pray it memorize it in fact throughout the this study in philippians we're going to memorize some verses together and under the first point is the first verse that we're going to memorize and i think by the end of the series you're going to have seven verses memorized but philippians is an absolutely beautiful beautiful book i mean paul obviously we know paul he's a he's an intelligent person he's he's articulate he's a leader he's 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 type a He's passionate, he's focused, but here, maybe like in no other of Paul's writings, he pours out his heart, this tenderness and this affection he has for this church in a city in northern Greece that he started called Philippi, and thus he wrote this letter to the Philippians or to the church that was at Philippi. And so we begin in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, Timothy was was a a young believer in the faith that Paul poured into and was a great assistance to him and and a great advance to the kingdom of heaven, which is the body of Christ, the church. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus who were at Philippi, again, northern Greece, and Paul started this church in Philippi, by the way, in Acts chapter 16. We're going to touch on that in a moment. With the overseers, that's another word for shepherds or bishops or pastors, the Bible uses those words interchangeably, and deacons, that's simply ones who serves, and we've got some awesome deacons around here. Mm -hmm. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. And this is a broad brush stroke. And again, you will in no way just necessarily get the book of Philippians from this sermon, but I do hope that this encourages you to go home and take your time reading the book of Philippians throughout the week. Because the Bible is God's love letter to you. Did you know that? It's a supernatural book. I first realized this when I was a kid. In middle school, I told my parents I was sick i wasn 't sick, I just didn 't want to go to school, and so I stayed home and for some reason, I decided to read the Bible that was we had this Bible for kids it was up on the shelf i don 't know why I decided not to watch TV, but I just opened the Bible and started reading it and you, you want to know what? I read the Bible all day long. And at the end of the day, I remember having so much joy in my heart that I couldn't contain my energy. And I realized right then and there that the Bible is different. It's not like a science book. It's not like a history book. It's not like simply a textbook. It's not like reading the encyclopedia. It is spiritual. It is supernatural. God breathed his word, his promises, his love on these pages And then when we read it, he breathes his promises into our heart. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you're spending little time in the word, I can tell you right now you have little joy. And I don't care how much medication you may take. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying. I don't care how much medication you take or how much counseling you go to. Again, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't care how much medication you take and how much counseling you go to. If you're spending little time in the Word, then this time six months from now, you will still have little joy in your heart. But if you're in the Word every single day to hear from God, to seek God, to be directed by God, to be reminded of his love, then this time, two weeks from now, you will have great joy in your heart. And so with a broad brush stroke, I just want to look at three principles that we need to hang on to that is a result of Christ's joy in our heart. These are promises that we stand upon. The first reason that the follower of Jesus Christ has joy, the follower of Jesus Christ has joy because of Christ's. Purpose in our life because of Christ's purpose in our life. And this is the first verse that we're going to memorize together. And I am sure of this. This is verse 6. Are you ready? I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is Christ's purpose in your life he who began a good work in you will complete it can you guys say that he who began a good work in you will complete it now say it again awesome you've just memorized Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 so I know some of you are going to go to work tomorrow and spout off Philippians 1 6 and act like you know a whole lot about the Bible and and that's okay that's all right so we're going to memorize about seven of these verses as we go through this series and this is what we know He who began a good work in you will complete it. He will complete it. Did you know that? I know that you've stumbled. I know that you've fallen. I know that you've made mistakes. But the Bible says that just man falls seven times and seven times rises again. God is not finished with you. He started a work and he will complete the work. He will complete the good work that he began in you. God is not a quitter. And he started in something in you that's called salvation. He started something within you called the character of Christ. If you're a born-again believer, and he will not give up. I don't care how far you may have strayed in your Christian journey. You have not strayed beyond the reach of God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. I don't care how hard you may have crashed. You have not fallen beneath the depth. And the reach of his grace that restores us and picks us up and makes all things new. He who began a good work in you will complete it. And when he wrote this to the Philippians, there's no doubt that his heart was absolutely overflowing with affection and love for this church. This church began, as I said, it's recorded in Acts chapter 16. And we see that Paul was engaged in training ministries and leaders in another place. And then he gets the prompting, a leading. A supernatural spiritual leading from God saying, go to this other region, the Macedonian region, which is Greece. He didn't know why. He didn't know who he was going to meet. He didn't know if it's like we looked at the other day in and, and Acts, I believe, 8, like Philip leading this great revival to go lead just one person to the Lord the Ethiopian eunuch, which would result in today, millions of people throughout the course of history in Africa coming to Christ through that one convert. He didn't know. He didn't ask questions. But he got a leading from the Lord, and he immediately went to Greece. And by the way, if you get a prompting from the Lord, don't ignore that prompting. Oh, There's so much writing on it. There's so much dependent upon it. You could miss so much of being part of what God is doing. In fact, as We're just kind of, as an aside, pressing pause for a moment and talking about leadings because Paul responded to this leading to go to Macedonia for who knows what reason. The Lord gave me a clear-cut leading to to leave the ministry that I was at and to start this church, and he even told me the name, HopeWorks. It was the spring, the same spring that Luke mentioned. I met Luke, and I prayed, God, you really want me to start this church? It had been on my heart for 12 years. Do you really want me to start it? If so, God, just at least give me a name. I kid you guys not, at 3 a.m., I heard a whisper. It was a thunder, and it startled me and made me lose my breath, but it was a whisper. Hope works. I wanted to name the church the, the Fellowship of Fort Worth or something that sounded really impressive. And sometimes people say, did God really speak that to you? And I respond, all I know is it's all this time later, and we started with nothing, and there's a building at the corner of Hempel and Allen with a sign outside that says Hope Works. And I know I didn't do that. There was a leading. And <laughs> in relation to that leading, so at Starbucks, from my perspective, this guy sits across from me and says, Luke Gilcrease. I say, Shane Gray he says, What are you doing? I say, I'm reading the Bible. I invite him to this Bible study. He brings some friends with him, some college friends and it's a friday night bible study i'm sharing sharing the gospel and luke's sitting on the front row he's got all these friends that he invited behind him and i'm making uh, drawing an example on this easel and then the easel starts to kind of fall over you know how those legs can be kind of tricky sometimes and it starts to fall over and from the uh, from the front row luke just sort of leaned forward and he fixed the leg and that's that it's a memory i probably never would have remembered again except for luke told me it was right then and there that the holy spirit spoke to his heart one of your purposes in life is to help this man share the gospel. And it's been all of this time since. I remember our very first meeting in, in the spring of, actually the summer of 2003 was at IHOP for Hope Works. And some people who are associated with the ministry International House of Prayer get really excited. And they say, you guys started at IHOP? It's like, no, we started at International House of Pancakes, and <laughs> like the real one. And, and so we were there, and there were eight people. And we cast a vision about a church for the unchurched in a spiritual hospital, a spiritual emergency room that healed people with the unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Two weeks later, we were at the uh, Coventry Apartment Clubhouse on Bryan Irvin Road, and there were 23 of us. Two months later, there were 60 of us. And we already baptized, I think, four people in the pool that was outside. And then the very next Sunday, we were at the Fort Worth Botanic Gardens and in the indoor theater, and there were 190. And five people prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And then from there, we've continued to strive to reach out to people, and we've also been attacked by ravenous wolves. And there was many times that that I didn't think I, I had the in, in, internal stamina to continue, or uh, maybe I would just be so discouraged, or maybe we, 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 became, we were attacked so fiercely, I didn't know that we could continue on. I remember one particular season that the Lord has delivered us from. It was a season that, I mean, it was in the middle of winter, and I'd be sitting home at my you know, just sitting home with no electricity, trying to stay warm with the fireplace, and just feeling like, God, are we ever going to get beyond this 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 rut? And I remember calling Luke, who's on our finance team, and I said, you know, every month these bills, they just crash, and I raise money throughout the, every week, and then we just barely outrun it, and then here we are, we've got to do it again the next week, and then the, everything crashes, and then the next week. And I was like, I don't think I can do it anymore. I I can't do it anymore. And he came up and we literally cried out to the Lord. And within 24 hours from four different people, don't even go to our church, they inserted into our account a total of $40,000, each with with letters of love and affection and support and saying that we're behind us, just don't grow weary, don't give up. And all that to say, God started this work and God is going to bring this work to completion. And nothing can come against us because if God is for us, who can come against us and this boldness is a sign as paul says of our opposition's destruction but our salvation if god is forced who can come against us whatever god starts god completes and so god started the church in philippi paul responded to this leading he's in macedonia He goes into Philippi. It's a major, it's a Roman colony. It's a major city. There's no temple there. There's no synagogue, which was his custom. He would go from the Old Testament, argue that Jesus is the Messiah and lead many people to Christ. There's no synagogue. So he went down by the river. There's this lady. She's probably a wealthy lady. She walks up and she starts talking to him. That's bad news because anybody ever, anytime anybody ever just started talking to Paul, then they ended up hearing how much Jesus loved them, how he died for them, how he conquered death, how he's the Messiah, and you better place your faith in him. And she did. And that was the first. First convert in Philippi, her name was Lydia. And she said, you know what? If you found me favorable, if you consider me a blessed person, please come and stay in my house. So not only did they have their first convert, but they also had their first place to meet for this uh, church plant in the city of Philippi. They said, great. So they're going into town. And then there's this lady who desperately needed healing, desperately, desperately needed healing. Paul, uh, in Jesus' name, healed her, and delivered her. And that created the most unbelievable uproar that you can imagine. As a result of that, Paul got beat. And his buddy that he was traveling with, Silas, they got beat severely. They got thrown in prison. And they were in these, these shackles. And in the middle of the night, about midnight, they're praising. They're singing praises to God. And then here comes an earthquake. And it shakes the, the gates loose. And it shakes everybody's shackles loose. But then here comes another prim- prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, don't leave. Don't escape. Don't run off. Stay put. So they stay put. And then comes into view the jailer. Who saw the gate that was opened up and it would have been a penalty at his own life had everybody escaped. And so he saw the gate was opened. He assumed that everybody escaped. So he pulls out his sword. He's about to fall upon it. He's about to kill himself. And then Paul yells out at him, don't, don't do that. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And he runs in and he sees these people who didn't escape when they could for his own sake. And he's taken back by it. And he says, why didn't you all escape? Why would you have done this for somebody that you don't even know, and probably somebody who treated you harshly? And so that's another opportunity. The Apostle Paul begins telling this guy, that Jesus loves him and that Jesus died for him and that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to Jesus. This guy gets saved. His family gets saved. So now we have two families that are converts in the city of Philippi. And then after they're out of prison, they go back to Lydia's house, probably with his jailer and his family, and then Lydia and his, her family, and then all of their friends and their neighbors and more people get saved. And, now, and And then there's a pretty substantial little church here in Philippi. And then they appoint leaders and... And and deacons, and then they move on to go strengthen and start other churches. But Paul never loses this affection in his heart that he has towards the church at Philippi. And you can read about it, how he longs for them with the affection of Christ. And this church even... Continue to love Paul, because in this day, when you're in prison, as Paul was, if you didn't have friends and family to bring you clothes, and to, and to bring you food, and to bring you supplies, well, then you just died, and Rome didn't care. If, if you die, you die. That's, that's your problem, but Paul was supported, and he was loved, and he was nurtured, and he was encouraged because of the church at Philippi, and they would send somebody to give him a report, and the only thing that would really just make it all worthwhile and give joy to Paul's heart was knowing that the church at Philippi was continuing to prosper and continuing to lead people to Christ. And his joy was based upon this, that God started this work in Philippi. And here in prison, he's so out of control to help strengthen it and sustain it. But it's not about him and it's not up to him. It's about Christ and it's up to Christ. And Christ started it and Christ will complete it. And so it is with us. It's not about us. It's not up to us. Christ started our salvation. If you're in Christ, and Christ will sustain it until you become more and more and more and more like Jesus. And I know that some of you are thinking, I don't know that I want to progress in the faith and advance in Christianity. Because I've seen Christians and quite frankly, there's nothing about them that I want to be like. They're harsh. They're judgmental. They're abrasive. They're hypocritical. And they're living in sin, and they need to repent, and God is still at work in ministering and sanctifying them. Because when God has his work in a believer's life, then you can cross-reference this verse that you memorized, Philippians 1-6, with Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and it says that the fruit of the Spirit, God's agenda, God's goal in your life is to have love flowing from your heart, joy flowing, peace, patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control all of these things that children would run to and children would be attracted to if you see somebody whose temperament repels children they're not mature in christ they're living in sin perhaps not a moral sin but certainly a sin of of rebellion and being insensitive to what christ wants to do in their heart because he wants to accomplish love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness, self-control, and that's the work that God wants to accomplish in our life. Have you ever known somebody who bought a fixer-up house, and then they just tear down the walls, and they're gutting it, and they have the, the, the conduit, and they're totally transforming it, and you walk in, and you think, my goodness, what in the world are you guys doing with this house? It's, it's, it looks like somebody just tossed a hand grenade, but then six months later, you go back to visit, I mean, and it's just pristine, it looks like something that should be in a magazine. Well, when you come to Christ, he enters your heart through the Holy Spirit with a tool belt and a hard hat, knowing that you're a fixer-upper. In fact, the only people that Jesus ever saves, ever, are fixer-uppers. And he has far more patience with us in this renovation process than even we have in ourselves. So don't give up, because God hasn't given up on you. And this is the source of the believer's joy. We wake up in the morning and we don't feel like failures and we don't feel discouraged and we don't feel like what's the use and gosh, I've already messed up so many times. And we, we don't look at it like that because we don't look at ourselves. We look at him who started the work and him who promised to finish the work. God is not a quitter. Other people may have quit in your life. A spouse may have quit in your life. A child may have quit. A boss may have quit. A job may have quit. An economy may have quit. Health may have quit. But God is not a quitter, and he will never quit. He will never walk out. He will never grow tired. He started your salvation, and he's going to complete your sanctification until you are overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. And when people see you, they don't see you. They see Jesus shining through you. So the first basis of our joy is that God is not a quitter. God's purpose in our life is to complete the work that he started. And the second source of our joy are the plans of Christ. The first source are the purposes of Christ. He's going to finish what he started. And the second is the plans of Christ. And we read about that in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So does it become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest That my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that incredible? Paul could be beat. He could be shipwrecked. He could be be thrown in prison. And he's going to say, you know what? I have joy. And the reason that I have joy is because this is really about Christ's plans. And God is using this very obstacle, this very setback, this very beating, this very imprisonment, this very difficulty, this very frustration. Whatever this is for you, God is using this to advance the gospel. We tend to think that God is most glorified in our lives when we are most comfortable. And if you watch much Christian TV and buy into it, then you probably have subscribed to that that Philosophy, which is no, not theology at all. It's a philosophy, and it's a worldly philosophy, and it's inconsistent with truth. God is not most comfortable, or God is not most glorified in us when we are most comfortable in this world. We're called to be aliens, foreigners, soldiers, pilgrims. We're called not to get too comfortable. God is most glorified in us when we most trust him and we are most at trust in him when comfort is pride out of our hands through pain and sorrow and setbacks and disappointments and difficulty when life hits us then we have to trust god and when we trust god he is most glorified in us and so paul is saying don't lose faith because life is difficult for me why wouldn't it be difficult for me this world that we live in is the dominion of darkness satan is the prince of this air scripture said our kingdom is in heaven our kingdom is in heaven and christ is coming again it's not here don't get too comfortable if the gospel that we preach if the relationship with christ that we share can't give hope and joy to a church in a third world country that meets in a mud hut if the gospel that we proclaim can't give hope and joy to a prisoner who's serving a life sentence and has no, no opportunity for, 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 for pardon, if the gospel and the, and the hope that we share can't give boldness and life to somebody that's in poverty-stricken conditions, it is a false gospel and it is no gospel at all. But the gospel that we proclaim, it works on the mountaintop, but it works even better in the valley. It works even better in the valley. So that when we trust Christ, when difficulty hits us, we know that God is using those difficulties not as a pit, but a launching pad, as a catalyst to propel us into his plans and his purposes for his glory to give hope to the world so much more, exceedingly, infinitely above Our well-thought-out plans. So first, we have joy in the purposes of Christ. Secondly, we have joy in the plans of Christ. And thirdly, we have joy in the very presence of Christ. Paul writes, and we pick up in verse 19, and he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And know this, no matter what you're going through, It will turn out for your deliverance. God defines deliverance, and God defines what's good in our life. But God's definition of deliverance and good in our life is infinitely beyond our definition of good and deliverance. Because our definition of good and deliverance is 99% of the time attached with being comfortable. And God's definition of good and deliverance in our life is attached to his glory, our character, and the hope of the world. The difficulty that we're going through will absolutely, without a doubt, result in our deliverance as defined by God, and His definition is far beyond ours. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, which would be the Philippians' definition of good, that Paul lives. Whether by my life, because they loved him and they were so encouraged and supported by him. Whether by my life or by my death. And that was Paul's definition of good, death. He said, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He said, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful label for me. Yet what shall I choose? I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for it is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary. On your account, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you, with you all for the progress and joy in your faith. Most people are willing to die, but would rather live. Paul was just the opposite. He would rather die, but he was willing to live for the sake of others. And the reason that he would rather die is because he knew that the author of life, the author of his salvation, joy himself, was waiting for him in heaven. And that was his reward. And that was his goal. Yes, the spirit of Christ is in every believer's heart, as the spirit of Christ was in Paul's heart. But Jesus himself, who died on the cross and bodily rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, is in heaven. And Paul longed to be face-to-face with Christ. And he said, for me... If I could check out, and if I could be face-to-face with Jesus, that's what I prefer, and that's far better. But for you, I'm willing to go on. I know that I'll go on on your account. Let me ask you this. As Paul was arriving toward the end of his life, and his spirit was about to depart from his body, he not only had a peace about it, of a life well-lived, because he was living it for Christ... He had an excitement about it because of who he was going to see when he got to heaven. And he was going to be face to face with a savior who was as real to him as the, the back of his hand. Can that be said of you? If you knew that today was your last day on this earth, would you have peace about it because of a life well lived? Because you lived it for the absolute highest calling and that's Jesus Christ Or would your heart be filled with sorrow and regret because you wasted your life because you didn't love well? And the only way that any of us can love well is if we allow Christ to love through us. Paul loved well. Christ was fully alive through him to the extent that he considered himself not even to be living anymore, but Christ was living through him. That's how well he loved. Oh, he didn't waste his life he was absolutely ready to go because he had complete confidence he lived well because he loved well because Christ was fully alive and loving through him but not only that he couldn't wait to see his god that in his life here his relationship with the lord he learned to love jesus christ more than anything else on this in this world and he had absolutely no fear of death no question no hesitation and he just longed to see his lord so i have two closing questions one is for christians one is for people who you're here maybe you're just sort of checking out this whole christianity thing and thank you for being here my 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 question for the christians is this are you making the most of your life are you loving well is christ loving through you because you're living surrendered to him and do you love Jesus today more than you ever have? And in fact, do you love Jesus to, Jesus today more than anything else on this earth? And you think, well, I, I, I love my family first and God second. The best way to love your family is to love Jesus first and let him love them through you. Do you love Jesus more than anything else on this earth? To the extent... That when that day comes for you, your last hour, your final hour, you're ready to depart. And you're ready to see the one who loves you and gave himself up for you. Are you ready for that? Don't get too comfortable here. Don't make this place your home. Some of the greatest hymns that have surfaced from the history of the church were from the slaves in the states in the mid-1800s. Because their, their hymns were filled with longing for home. They weren't getting comfortable in their circumstances or their surroundings, and they weren't accepting that as their identity or their reality, but rather they were longing for home. And so they sang to him, swing low, sweet chariot, a reference to the chariot that whisked uh, Elijah away to go home to be with God. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Are you longing for home or are you becoming comfortable? Are you trying to make this place your home? several years ago I took my dog camping and it rained and it was one of these camping trips Murphy's Law kicked in everything that could have gone wrong went wrong Uh, it was cold it was raining my dog was covered in mud he came into the tent he shook mud went everywhere you know how that goes and um, he got away I had to chase him sliding slipping falling getting back to the tent It was cold and I just kept thinking I can't wait to get home I have a bed I have a heater the dog's got a backyard I can't wait to get home And I wasn't too comfortable. But I didn't have to be comfortable because I was looking for home. How silly would it have been to have taken the couch and the TV and camping and and to have taken the recliner and and to try to get too comfortable? That's silly, isn't it? So many Christians are living silliest, ridiculous, wasteful, temporal lives because you're trying to make this home your permanent home. And you're too comfortable here. And you're selling out for a cheap, blue light, temporary, special home. Start living for heaven. Start living for eternity. Start longing for home. Every time I bury a loved one, I, I long a little more for home. I'm not suicidal. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love life. I don't wish to stop living. I, I look forward to living more fully. Every time I bury a loved one, not only do I, I look more forward to home, but not only that, I have more to live for now because I'm not living to simply be comfortable now. I'm living to lead people to Christ now. Life is more pur- purposeful. It's more urgent. Just this morning, in fact, Luke and I went to go scoop up some kids over in the P- Polytech Dunbar area, and it was an apartment complex, and we went up to the room, and uh, the, the, the house there were some kids who came out I love these kids and they came out all dressed up for church they're nice little coats and and my, my heart goes out to them I'm so grateful for the hour or two that we get each week to pour into them as the years have unfolded we see, we see that with Christ and love I mean you can impact lives forever and uh, you know we went up there and, and it was just an alcoholic situation in terms of the parents and we've seen kids that that have come out of of, of environments that you know just smell like uh, it's just you you can tell there's a lot of drugs and um but i see these kids and i'm so grateful for the honor to pour into them and the more we look forward to heaven and the more we make a commitment not to get too comfortable here then The more we have joy, and not only that, but the more we have love for the people that God puts, as we've been talking about in our peripheral vision, so that we say, that one, I'm going to make a difference in that one's life. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to pour into them, and I'm going to carry them to heaven with me. A pastor that I enjoy listening to has a friend who was, he was passing away, a solid member of the church, a deacon in the church for years. And he was on his deathbed, and the pastor was, it was Adrian Rogers. He was visiting this man, and this man said, Pastor... I'm ashamed to die. I'm not afraid to die. I'm ashamed to die because I haven't taken anybody with me. Don't do that. Live for heaven. Live for eternity. Scoop up as many souls and bring them with you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not our home. We're just passing through. In fact, this is our mission field. This is a war zone. And we're not battling for dirt. We're battling for souls. And we pour into them through love and through prayer and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we take them all home. And if you're living for simply comfort, then I would just say your universe got so small and it became so reduced to the size of how comfortable you are. And I think that's such a waste and it's such a tragedy. But if we forget about comfort and pursue the cause of Christ, then we'll make the most of our life here. And so as we look at this, I just want to ask you, are you you pursuing a life of happiness based upon comfort and circumstances? Or are you pursuing a life of joy based upon Christ's purposes and Christ's presence? and then for those of you who are maybe just checking out what the church is and what the claims of christianity are let me just say this the major distinction between christianity and every other religion is very simple to the extent that we don't even consider christianity a religion we consider it a relationship but the difference is very simple every other religion is based upon what you do or what you achieve to be awarded by god maybe you do this and this and this and achieve this and this and this and perhaps you'll be rewarded uh eternal life or according if you do these five things according to one religion then maybe you'll get to heaven Uh, if you do these things according to other religions maybe you'll get 70 virgins when you get to heaven i mean you can kind of tell when stuff is just man-made can't you i mean that's just ridiculous Every other religion is based upon things that you do to hopefully get something from God. And Jesus had nothing to do with that system. In fact, he ruthlessly rebelled and bucked that system. And it was that religious system that plotted his death, but his father plotted it before them because that's the purpose that he died. That's the purpose that he came to die. Whereas every religious system is based upon what we do for God to be awarded something, Christianity is all about, it's 100%. Not even even 50-50 or 60-40 or 90% God and 10% us. Christianity is absolutely 100% what God has done for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not even a 50-50 deal or a 60-40 deal or a 90-10 deal. It is 100% what God has done for us through Jesus Christ when he paid for our sins on the cross. And he said, it is finished. Nothing remains. This is sufficient for salvation. And we simply receive that by faith. We trust not only that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, we trust that he died on the cross for my sins. It's personal faith. We believe that not only is Jesus Christ the king of kings, we believe that he's my personal Lord and he's my personal king. And at that moment, it's not a process, it's an event like a bolt of lightning. The Holy Spirit enters your heart, you're born again, your sins are forgiven, you're heaven bound. Christ started this work called salvation, and He will complete it. He will see you home into heaven, and He will complete the character, the Christ like character that He began in you. It is the most important decision that you could ever make in your entire life, and it is the greatest blessing. That's to humble yourself and admit that you're a sinner. That needs a savior a lost sheep that needs a shepherd and you ask Jesus to forgive you and to save you of your sins would you stand with me please and if you have any more questions about the claims of Christ or Christianity I'd um, love to meet you for coffee and talk to him, talk to you about it I love talking about the Bible and Jesus and how much he loves you don't worry, it won't be a debate kind of thing. I just, I just love telling you how much Jesus loves you. If you have any more questions, please corner me for coffee. I'm up for coffee. I'm up to talking about Jesus and how much he loves you. Um, but for now, just know this. You can no more eventually become a Christian as if you sat in a garage and you could eventually become a car. That can't happen. You can no more eventually become a christian as you could go swimming and maybe eventually become a fish it can't happen becoming a christian is called being born again it's being transformed uh you were dead and then you're alive the old is gone the new has come you're a new creature a new creation it is not a process it is an event a process obviously led up to the event but the moment of salvation is an event When you repent of your sins, and you ask Jesus to forgive you, and you trust that what he did on the cross is sufficient for your salvation. It's like, well, don't don't I have to be baptized? You get to be baptized because you're saved. And we have a baptism opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks. So indicate that if you're interested. But you get to be baptized, and and Jesus starts changing you, and he starts living and loving through you. And the more he lives and loves through you, then the more you know what it is to have a heart that's strengthened and alive with pure joy. It's the joy of the Lord. So would you bow your heads with me? As a testimony, I wonder how many of you would say, I know that I am born again. I know that I am heaven-bound. Amen. Thank you. I would just like to pray for you. If you don't know, I would just like to pray for you and say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure that I'm born again and I'm heaven bound. And I'm not 100% sure that I'm a Christian. I I would just like to pray for you. If that's it, would you raise raise your hand, please? And let me pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? You're not 100% sure. God bless you. Okay. 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 God bless you. Now, let me just pray, pray for you, and then I want to lead you in a prayer if this is something you like. Father, you see these hands, and you know these hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, God, that right now, because it's not, it's not smooth talking or smooth preaching that leads anybody to Christ. It's only the blood of Christ and the spirit of Christ that causes someone to come to you. So we pray in Jesus' name that every heart would be open to who you are and how much you love them and what you've done for them and what that means in their lives. If you, if you raised your hand, if you would like to receive Christ, I would just like to lead you in a prayer where you're at. If you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand high. Okay. Okay, God bless you. Anybody else would like to pray to receive Christ? Okay, God bless you. All right. Now, we're going to pray with you. And we want you to pray. It's not words like a magic spell. It's, it's your heart. It's your heart talking to God. God. And you're telling God what you mean. And we're going to pray with you to encourage you. And the Bible says, All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we just want to pray with you. Pray out loud and pray boldly. God, I know that I've sinned. But I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins so that I could go to heaven. Thank you for loving me so much. Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, come into my heart and change me and begin living life through me. Mm -hmm. Be my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for creating me, and thank you for dying for me, and thank you for, for saving me. You are my God, and help me to love you more. Now, if you would just look at me and, you know, I I did see several people raise their hand and say, you know what, I would like to pray that. And know this, it's a decisive moment. It's a faith thing. Those who call on the name of the Lord are saved. The Holy Spirit comes in. And from now on, it's not even about what we do for God now. It's about a relationship with a living, communicative, promise-making, promise-keeping, loving, faithful, loyal God who will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. I can testify to that. If God were ever to have left somebody, it would have been me. But he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Nobody can snatch you out of my hands. And the rest of this life, you have a Savior named Jesus who's with you and he's for you every step of the way. And now we have him to look forward to when we go on and go to heaven. So let's just respond to this salvation and this great, great God through worship. Next week, I'm going to be talking a little bit about what baptism is as we continue through Philippians. We'll have an opportunity for baptism coming up. So please just stick close with us. But for now, uh, let's just respond with worship.